Hello, and welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a reference and cataloging librarian. I'm Justin Tremini, a reference librarian. We're continuing our discussion of the library book by Susan Orlean as part of Andover's Community Read for 2021. You can find more info on the Community Read at our website, mhl.org. Um, and you can also find a video recording of the podcast at mhl.org slash podcast. So in this episode, we are discussing chapters 7 to 11. Um, so where do you want to start, Justin? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that kind of struck me as, as interesting, the, the piece that I found really interesting in yep. this section was just the sort of general history of the library system and the sort of series of directors that they went through. Um, some mm-hmm. real kind of characters in the mix there. Yeah. Um, that Wait, was... I, think, I think those are later in the book, although I'm happy to get into them now. Was that not? No. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I read ahead. That's chapter 12. Okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with reading ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. So I think that chapter 11 just kind of just barely gets us there. And then yeah. chapter 12 really gets more into that. So Yeah, it kind of gets into it in chapter 12. Okay. Um, but, you know, I don't mind having a sneak preview of next week. Okay, so next week, let's look forward to talking about yeah. the uh, interesting director. So we're talking more about the fire more than, I guess, in, yeah. in these chapters, right? Mostly about the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did find out from last time, you had asked why there was an X in the call numbers for mm-hmm. some books. So I, I called the Los Angeles Public Library Reference Desk to ask them, and they seemed to think this was kind of a strange question, although, frankly, I have trouble believing that that's one of the stranger questions they've been asked. Right. But... Um, they said that the X indicates that it's part of the children's room. Hmm. I have no idea why that would be. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen such a thing. I've seen J for juvenile and I've seen E for easy reader or early reader or sometimes JE or JJ for picture books. I've never seen an X. I have not heard of any libraries that do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother was a librarian in Las Vegas. She never heard of such a thing, so I don't think it's, like, a widespread West Coast convention, but, like, is it, like, you know, X in Christmas, like, stands for CH, like, Xmas? Mm. Is it, like, (laughs) like some sort of nod to the Catalan language? Yeah. That's what I've got. It almost seems like, like, just the least kind of inviting thing that you could put, you know? Yeah. It could be almost like any other letter. Like if it was like an F or like a J or a K. But like right. X just kind of seems like, no, like bad book. Like Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I found that very strange. Mm-hmm. My only other thought is I noticed in one of these chapters, there was one call letter or one call number that started with a letter G. Mm-hmm. And it was for a title that was in what I can only assume is German. I unfortunately do not speak German. Um, but it looked, it looked Germanic to me. And I thought maybe they wanted to reserve like J for say Japanese. Like if they okay. indicate books in German, maybe J would be reserved for Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know why you wouldn't use E, but maybe there's some major language I'm not thinking of other than English, which, you know, doesn't mm. need to be indicated. Maybe that's why they don't use J. Maybe that's a good point. Maybe that's the only thing left. Right, could, like, yeah. it, it wasn't going to come up for anything else? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Still seems weird. Yeah, it does seem very weird. But, 
So I'm curious when you when you contacted them, did you tell them the context of your question that you you know? That... I did. I did not. I think okay. I. I think I said I'd been reading the library book and I noticed it in their call numbers. Mm. Um, I did not get into the fact that I was also a librarian. It was also. It was the evening on the East Coast. It was getting near the end of the day on the West Coast, and possibly they were just done with their work day, which I can I can understand. Yeah, especially yeah. these days. So it's always interesting that that interaction, like when you either go to another library, you're contacting the library, and it's yeah. not a work related. I mean, this was a work related thing, kind of. But as a right. patron, but you sort of yeah. want to have like a secret handshake where you can be like, "Hey, like I'm on the inside." Like, yeah, I know, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always feel sort of like the Phantom Gourmet when I do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, which, you know, is fun in its own right. But right. yeah, I do sort of wish there were a secret handshake. Mm -hmm. For anyone listening, if you were wondering, there is not a secret handshake. Unfortunately. Um, but, you know, maybe that should be our next project. There you go, yeah. Something, I don't know how we'd get it to catch on, but I think word would spread. Librarians like to talk to each other. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It would just have to literally spread as a handshake, like which is not good in these times, I guess. Yeah. But, well, yeah. maybe a project for twenty twenty two. There you go. We can hope. I like it. Um. Anyway, but yeah, we had a lot, a lot more about fires and mm -hmm. histories of book burning. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like jumping off of you know one of the things that we talked about last time was her experiments in burning a book or kind of yeah. maybe ill ill suited ill-minded exper experiment in burning a book um, yeah but that does kind of lead us into yeah a lot of talk of like the history of book burning mm -hmm. the history of like uh the destruction of libraries the just the sheer amount of like libraries that have been destroyed over time yeah that shocking. was kind of yeah shocking is the word i use mm -hmm. very very surprising i mean you know when i think of world war ii i don't I hadn't really been in the habit of thinking of it as like the event that has destroyed more libraries than any other. But, yeah. uh, but she talked about that briefly, which, you know, was, I don't know, in, in the various like world war two historical fiction I've read, there have been no burning libraries, which now seems like a glaring omission. But I mean, I definitely think that when, when talking about like the history of war and of like global conflict, you do hear about right. like museums being destroyed or mm -hmm. works of art being destroyed or more so like the attempt to save works of art. Right. You, we hear a lot about that in, in World War II. But right. You don't think so much in terms of libraries. Yeah. That kind of gets into like a deeper issue of like, and she, I think she kind of talks us over a little bit in the book. Um, mm -hmm. The idea of like, is a library meant to be you know, or a repository for books or for historical documents and things right. like that versus is it should it be a continuously evolving turning over collection and these things get destroyed and not destroyed, but they get removed from the collection so that new things can come in right. versus a museum, which the intention is to preserve these things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, I think the role has kind of changed since like World War II, let's mm -hmm. say, as books become more and more mass produced. Mm -hmm. And there's more of a sense that the older, you know, one of a kind or more rare books need to be kept somewhere else or somewhere special. I mean, obviously at Andover, we're lucky to have a good local history collection. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the items in there are, you know, unique or hard to find. You can't 
just go and buy a replacement copy at the bookstore. Um, and of course, we have a different protocol. I mean, that's a room that's locked to the public. Like, if you want an item from that, we'll go in and get it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the room itself is closed off, climate controlled. Uh, you know, a lot of the more fragile items are in archival folders or archival boxes. So that's sort of, you know, we almost, we play a dual function in that regard. But I've also worked in libraries that don't have a local history collection or have a very minimal local history collection or, you know, it's not really cataloged um, or preserved as well. And I think it's, it's tricky to fulfill both of those functions and do it well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're lucky that we have someone on staff whose job is, you know, partly devoted to that, um, to that collection mm-hmm. for a local history librarian, a different Stephanie, mm-hmm. not me, but you know, a lot of libraries just don't have the time, space, staff, funding to, to do that. And I guess in my mind, that's not really the primary function of a public library. Like, if you can do it, that's great. That's an added bonus. But it's a very, it's a whole different idea than, like, the main collection. Which, yeah, is, you know, sort of turned over. And it's all stuff that's pretty much replaceable. <laughs> I mean. But it's interesting to see. Like for me, you know, having worked in libraries for almost 20 years now, I feel like at the beginning of my time in libraries, even then in, you know, the early 2000s, like there was more of a focus on like, like you would find older, weirder things in the collection Mm. that just, and I'm sure it's it's different libraries sort of depending on budgets and things like that and how many items they're actually ordering, you know, they might still hold on to those things just because without those things, that's a good chunk of their collection or that's part of their collection versus a library like in Andover where we're constantly getting new things and we need to make space for those new things. So it's a give and take between keeping those old things and getting new things in. Um, Yeah. But I do think there's been a cultural shift in, in the last few years, at least just because like a probably the the you know with more items being digitized so there's other right. ways to get access to this information but also yeah. just like the sheer amount of things that are they're that being published and then when yes. you move beyond just books to different media right and now it's like library of things and you want to fill you know those things like take up a lot of room you know like you need right. space for those items as well right um it's a right they don't necessarily fit onto the same bookshelves, for example, mm-hmm. either that, you know, you could use for books or DVDs. Yeah, yeah. Um, that actually brings me to something that I'd been thinking about when I was reading this, where I think it first came up for me when she was talking about um, how, you know, the sort of psychological toll of book burning is on a community and she describes it as, you know, a kind of terrorism because books are a cultural DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is around page 102 of the paperback copy. Mm-hmm. And um, in chapter nine. And that kind of made me wonder whether the advent of all of this digital cultural media in some way takes away from the power of burning a physical book. You know, like if someone torches a public library today, there's probably some irreplaceable items in there. Like, Mm -hmm. but a small percentage of the collection is going to be irreplaceable items. And the rest of it, especially with online catalogs, you have a pretty good inventory of what was there. If you wanted to replace, you probably wouldn't replace it item by item, but like you could because you have a record of what was in there and it's pretty much stuff that you can go to the library vendors and replace. 
you know, and in the meantime, people can borrow from other libraries, they can borrow the ebooks, e-audio books, you know, they can stream videos with our streaming services. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I still think there's, there would be a psychological toll to torching a, to torching a library, but I don't know if it would be quite the same. Into kind of what she's talking about with like instances of intentional attacks on libraries and, and museums and institutions during times of war, right? Without like erasing a culture in a lot of ways. So even even if like those items aren't necessarily not replaceable, it's still it's a psychological attack on, right. on taking away a culture's history or you know a lot of um, signifiers of meaning within that culture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think even like with what you're saying and the fact that like, you know, you could burn like your your copy of the library book or whatever, and there's going to be millions more out there, or there's right. e books available. But just the actual act of doing like if you saw a person burning a book, yeah, like it, it's just yeah. it's tied to so much horrendous imagery and yeah, and it's a signifier of like what like you know if I wanted to get rid of this book because it no longer had meaning or whatever, right. I could donate it. I could recycle it I could throw it in the trash I could whatever right. burning is like a violent act you know yeah 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 it there is definitely a violence to it and and like a sort of finality mm -hmm. you know um whereas like with donating it someone else can still benefit from it and enjoy it um yeah, yeah no I I agree I think despite the fact that a lot of these things are now easily replaceable um mm -hmm there is still a psychological toll to that, you know, to burning a library or another cultural institution. Mm -hmm. I also thought she made, you know, I liked that she noted that libraries are seen as a safe and open space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of separate from the content of cultural items, burning a library is also kind of, you know, indicating that this space that is supposed to be safe and for everyone maybe is not. Um, or, you know, it just closes off that, that aspect, at least until the building can be repaired, replaced, reopened. I believe it was in the section that she mentions that there were two other minor fires in the building in the same yeah. year, right? Like in the process of, of trying to like, you know, clean up the remains right. of what was left. One um, of them, they knew why it happened and the other, they couldn't figure out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine being like staff at that time and you would... And at that point, oh. too, there was no indication of, I think, like in the timeline of the book, mm -hmm. no indication of who had maybe been involved in that first fire. Right. You just assume that it's somebody who's making another effort to try to, like, destroy, yeah. the, further destroy the building, you know? Yeah. 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 They also, uh, they talked about how, you know, staff were naturally among the suspects, not necessarily for any particular personal reasons, just like, well, who was there? Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, in addition to the patrons who were there, there were staff in the building. Um, mm -hmm. And luckily, there were no indications ever that it was any of the library staff. But, yeah. but like that, you know, that sense of not knowing would be, I think, deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be back at work in a burnt out building and be wondering, like, gee, did my colleague over there set the fire? Mm -hmm. I mean... Hopefully you wouldn't be wondering that, but I'm sure the thought came into people's minds. Yeah, definitely. Like, 
whether they were able to then immediately bat it away or not. Um, well, especially too, when one of the, the secondary fires was when the building wasn't open to the public, yet, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And you're like, was it more faulty wiring or, mm. you know, did someone snap under the stress? Is it the same person? Mm. Right. Yeah. No, that would be deeply unsettling. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I was, I mean, I guess I wasn't totally shocked, but it was pretty painful to read the descriptions of the librarian's despair mm -hmm. um, at working in the building. Um, you know, it, I mean, not surprisingly, really affected a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I did like that they, that they formed some staff singing groups to cope. I right. thought that was a nice detail. And it's interesting because that kind of, uh, I was just thinking going back to like the book burning where, yeah. She's talking about, you know, people who witnessed like Nazi book burnings and there would be right. bands playing and people dancing and it was this like joyous thing, which is yeah. horrifying. But then to read sort of like, the, that's almost a nice counterpoint to it, I guess, that like right. in the aftermath of some horrendous sort of destruction of, or attempted destruction of culture, that could be a way that people can find healing through this, you know, by yeah. their singing groups or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. In addition to... You know, there was some group therapy offered, but, um, but yeah, about a tenth of them requested transfers to other branches, which, mm -hmm. you know, makes sense to me too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did, I did want to just highlight the, uh, proposed band names that were listed here. Mm -hmm. Betty Gay and the Depressions, Dan Dupil and the Bitters, and Bill Byrne and the Arsonists. I enjoyed all of those. That's definitely like, don't you recognize that as like librarian humor? Like <laughs> totally just yes. seems very, <laughs> very much uh, what you would expect. It's great. Oh yeah. 100%. Probably why I enjoyed it. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know uh, if it would appeal as much to other senses of humor, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I enjoyed that very much. Um, I, yeah, I was also kind of shocked to realize how many libraries and books still burn in the U.S. every year. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, in more recent times, when you mentioned a couple of minutes ago how like the Nazi book burnings would be kind of these festive occasions. Um, Orlean was also saying, you know, this is not confined to Nazi Germany around the same time in the U.S. Uh, I think it was a Catholic group that started comic book drives, but to mm -hmm. gather comic books to be burned. Mm -hmm. uh, because they felt that they promoted sex and violence to the youth mm -hmm. um, and how those were kind of also like not exactly festivals but like kind of upbeat and triumphal moments yeah 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 I mean I wonder if I, I would assume any any group that's doing something like that it's they're probably not viewing it in a somber kind of way right <laughs> like yeah yeah probably not yeah. I mean right like I, I guess by the time you're setting books on fire, you feel pretty emboldened to act. You're not, mm. you're not really hiding. And um, you unless think, you're, you know, an arsonist. Right, right. But yeah, if you're doing a public book burning, you probably think you're doing the right thing on some level. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, like, but yeah, I guess, you know, I've luckily never uh, encountered a library fire. I've never experienced that in my life, but but I know one of my friends from when I was in library school mentioned that her hometown library had burned and it was kind of the typical someone overnight put something on fire in the library return box 
and it was overnight, so no one was there, so most of the building, I don't think it was destroyed, but it was pretty, pretty badly uh, damaged. And of course, that's why most library return boxes are not directly connected to the building anymore. Um, you know, like, if someone put something flaming in our library return, please don't. But like, if they did, it's out in the parking lot. The building is not going to catch on fire. Uh, it's a sort of new trend in library, or more recent trend in library architecture. Like, even if the book drop is within the building, like, I've seen them kind of isolated by heavy metal fire doors. Yeah. So, you know, it's not going to get beyond that. Was, yeah, it was just the slot on the side of the building up until not that, maybe six or seven years ago, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's um, definitely a more recent, a more mm. recent trend. You know, we're like, it's been around for a while, but you're maybe not going to do it until you need to upgrade anyway, or, mm -hmm. you know, until some other reason comes along. But um, I have found unpleasant things in book drops, but nothing mm -hmm. on fire. Yeah, <laughs> luckily nothing on fire. No. Not at the moment on fire. No. Things that make me want to wash my hands immediately, mm -hmm. yes. But yeah. flaming, no. Um, the inside scoop on emptying the book drop. Yeah. Not not sad that that's not part of my job anymore. <laughs> Can um, be full of surprises. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I guess on that note, that we also had the chapter in this section where um, they sort of gave some vignettes from the circulation desk. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was a sort of interesting not exactly behind the scenes look, but like sort of, you know, staff perspective look um, at what goes on in the library. And I realized when I was, when I was skimming over these chapters again yesterday that all of the descriptions of interactions there are positive or neutral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like there are no <laughs> disgruntled or upset people. Right. Um, like, the guy with $10.40 and fines is like, okay, I'll pay $10 of it now. <laughs> you know, which you think, is great. And a lot of people are like that, but. Do you think she was like cherry picking good interactions only, or maybe she just happened to be there on a good day? I, um, I can't decide. Yeah. The way. Yeah. I mean, later in the book, spoiler alert, they talk about the computer room and they definitely describe some, she definitely describes some rougher interactions. So, I don't think she would be averse to including that. Maybe she just, I mean, most of the time interactions are positive. It's not implausible that she could go and observe for an hour and see only, you know, generally positive or neutral interactions, but. Um, you know, that she's in a library that does have late fees on their books at that point. I mean, that's, that's a ripe interaction to, to go negatively, definitely, yes. you know? So yes, it is. she happened to get the one super relaxed guy who was like, cool, I'll pay it. No big deal. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. That's one trend in libraries that I'm glad to see is, is slowly dying out in more mm -hmm. and more places. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, just, you know, I don't know. In my experience, library fines do not motivate people to return items on time. So like, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, often it would, the sort of worst case scenario, you would see these situations where somebody, you know, came back to use the library after not being in the building for 10 years and they had fines for mm -hmm. things they checked out when they were, you know, 12. And right. then they're, they're restricted at that point. They can no yeah. longer use it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I do think, I do think at some point it's incumbent upon libraries to like either collect on it or forgive it. Like you can't, it's just silly to have fines sitting on people's cards at, like after a certain amount of time. I mean, like we, you know, if we haven't gotten you to pay up or return the book after like five years, mm -hmm. then like maybe we should just forgive the fine. I mean, yeah. you know, cause yeah, like you said, you do, you do see things like that. I mean, the flip side of the coin is like, I've seen often people who only come to the library to get summer reading and it's like, oh, well, they still have last year's summer reading out. Like, yeah, no, we're not going to give you this year's summer reading until you've brought that class. Like, right, you know, right. I can I can see that. I can see some points to it. But at a certain point, it's like, well, clearly we didn't do enough follow-up work to get you to, to return this. Like, mm. you know, you lost this book 10 years ago. Maybe we just need to let bygones be bygones. Yeah. And I think there's a point to, you know, if somebody has something and they, they still have it at their home and it's a year overdue and you're like, Hey, we, we don't, we're not going to charge you anything. We just want it back right. before you take anything else. I think that's, that's reasonable because there's not like a punitive element to that. It's right. not like you've been bad. You're going to get punished. Cause right. again, if we're talking about libraries as open spaces that are inviting mm -hmm. to everyone in the community, if there's a degree of like punishment to it, that maybe that's yeah. not so inviting. And that's, that's for some people, that's their experience when they're children, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. That, that carries along with them. Yeah. I do think in a lot of libraries that have fines, they at least don't levy them on children and teens anymore, mm, which is good. That's good. Um, because yeah, especially for that age group, it can really be a big deterrent from using the library. You know, I mean, if you're eight, you're not earning money, <laughs> you know, you can't pay that off unless your parents give you money for it, which they may or may not want to do, be able to do, you know, whatever. And now you're kind of cut off from, you know, a source of education and entertainment, which is a real shame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, just, just bring your items back. <laughs> That's all that we ask. Yeah, we won't judge. Yeah. Like, I guarantee you, we've seen worse. <laughs> But it's interesting because when you, you can even like sometimes you'll encounter people who say they've, they've like literally have not been in the building, used to gone to a program, done anything yeah. for fear that they're going to get in trouble because of some book that they lost when right. you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. And that's that's like the tragic side of it, you know? It really is. Like right. ultimately, because we were just talking before about how the collection's meant to be turned over. Um, it's probably a book that might not even have any value to anybody anymore. Right. And this person's being punished for it. You know, that's, yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like, at this point, we wouldn't even replace that book. Yeah. Like, if you checked out a health book in 2015, yeah. that's probably out of date by now. Like, we don't even want to replace, you know, maybe we would get a newer book on the topic, but like, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily even care about getting that specific title back at this point anyway, because the information in it is no longer good. Right. Like, you know, we, why prevent someone from using a library over that? Mm hmm but, but yeah, I, I was very interested to realize that they were all nice interaction. Yeah. But it's interesting because then I'm thinking of like the flip side to the fine thing is you still get people, especially older people who mm -hmm. will call us because the book is due tomorrow and there's going to be a mm -hmm. huge blizzard and they're like, I'm right. horribly sorry. I don't want to be late. And it's like, no, it's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Totally cool. Right. We right. don't charge late fees, like it's fine. And they're like, Yeah, but I've never been late in my life. And it's like, No, it's okay. Like, it's, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, we, I definitely encounter that. I've also, I mean, the main reason I don't think late fees work to bring books back is because, because of all of the people who I've had say to me, Oh, you know, I know this book is late. What's the fee? Mm -hmm. And then I get to say, There is no fee. And that's great. But like, mm -hmm. 
you know, clearly they thought there was a fee and they still didn't bring it back on time. So like that was not enough of a motivator or like a motivator at all. Um, I mean, I guess if the fees were exorbitantly high, maybe that would be a motivator, but like, I don't want, I'm not into that. (laughs) (laughs) Not suggesting that. Right. Like, you know, unless it's really a new popular book that a lot of people are waiting for, or like that's the only copy in the network, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to cause anyone any trouble if you're two or three days late. Right. You know, like it's it's okay. We don't yeah. need to we don't need to motivate you with steep fines. And I think the majority of people, it's not it's not like out of some kind of malicious sense of like I want to keep this thing. It's like yeah, people just get busy. I mean, right. like, uh, we work in a library, we're in a library a lot of our life, and, like, I still forget to bring things back, you yeah, know? Yeah, definitely. It's just things, get, like, three weeks goes by really fast, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I depend on the on the automated emails to remind yeah, me on things. Definitely. Um, but, or definitely when we closed down last spring, there were things that I had, you know, that I'd checked out before we closed down. And then, of course, I did not touch them until July when they finally started coming due. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I guess I better read this now. <laughs> and then, of course, I ended up returning them late because they couldn't be renewed anymore and I hadn't started reading them. Um, I definitely had stuff from that time period that I, I brought back after having for X amount of months and didn't actually, didn't even get around. And I'm like, I can't believe I yeah. had all the time in the world to read this thing and I didn't. Yeah, right. Like I had this in my home for four months. Mm-hmm. How did I not? I know, I think in that way, the due date is helpful as a motivator to read the book. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Like, when you know your time is limited, you actually, you know, you actually do it. Certainly mm-hmm. with the ebooks, I feel that pressure more, because they're yeah. really, you know, you might be able to borrow it again, but you might not. Mm-hmm. And definitely, if it's an ebook that I waited six months for, I'm like, okay, I, like, you know, it's going to be sucked off of my phone on X day, mm-hmm. I've got to finish it by then. Yeah. Like, you know especially if I borrow it from another network, a lot of them only lend it for 14 days. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's the bigger motivating factor and possibly why I've turned to novellas lately. So if we could make like books that like magically self-destruct, like oh. physical books or just disappear yeah. after three weeks and reappear in the building. Yeah. That would do the trick. But That would be cool. Yeah. Well, maybe when we, uh, when we master teleportation, mm-hmm. that would be possible. Okay. But Yeah. In the meantime, just bring it back. We don't yeah, care. Like, yeah. like, just bring it back. It's, it's, we just it's, want them back. Right. We just and, want them back. And we want you to continue to use the library, too. Yes. Even yeah. more important, we want you to continue to use the library and avail yourself of our services. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, something else that really surprised me, or, I don't know, not quite surprised me, is... um. They did talk a little bit about about book stealing from the library, which like why steal this? It's free, but have mm. a movie studios where the particularly egregious yeah. thieves, and it was just because they they didn't want to have to abide by the due date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because you would think they could maybe work something out with the library and be like, "Hey, could we I, get special privileges for like this one book or whatever?" Right. You know. Right, or like, you know, photocopy the few, like, most important pages, I mean. Or just bump it back and forth between multiple cards, you know? <laughs> like, right. this like, person brings it back and this other person checks it out. And, yeah. yeah, like, take notes. I mean, there are so many, Yeah. you know, we're like, if you're really going to need, I mean, if you're really going to need the book for an extended period of time, like, buy it? 
Yeah. I mean, they're movie studios. They probably have a budget for that. Like, well, great that they supported the local library, but also, like, don't... You're not actually supporting the library if you're stealing the book. That's true, yeah. I mean, I like, wonder if not, these, were, these were kind of rare. If they're, especially if they're looking for, like, you know, like, details on, like, a certain time period. Maybe these were books that were, like, no longer available at that point. Not that yeah. that justifies it at all, but, yeah, you know, that's probably the perspective they were coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I liked that they ended up wiring windows shut in the library that Mm -hmm. were the most commonly used for stealing the books. Again, Um, that issue of like, we want to keep an open inviting space, but like, we're literally going to put bars on the windows. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad they, they, they felt they had to get to that point, but yeah. yeah. And I do Um, like the sneaky ingenuity of like the film studio people of like, literally throwing the books out the window to go collect them or yeah whatever. that's a movie i would watch yeah that actually sounds like that could be a really interesting movie about those people. yeah um, i also like that the library had someone on staff to periodically go around to the movie studios and collect mm-hmm. <laughs> collect the books mm-hmm. like look we know you have these yeah please give them back now like no questions asked like we just right. want them back right uh, we won't press charges for theft just yeah. This is the sad thing is you, 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 I assume it's not even like those, those people who are like production assistants or whatever. It probably wasn't their idea. I'm sure like some boss oh, yeah. was like, you need to go and steal these books. Right. Go to the window, yeah. like in this room and so-and-so is going to be waiting outside the window. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, in library, library theft is still a thing that happens, not on a huge scale, but certainly books on more sensitive topics often get not often, but, like, they're the likeliest to get taken without being checked out. Or even to get checked out and just never returned. Yeah, I wonder with the advent of, like, self-checkout technology, if that reduces that to some degree, because if people... Yeah. You know, there's an interesting thing where, in that circulation chapter, she's talking about the, like, library assistant yep. making an effort not to look at the people's books or whatever. Yeah. That doesn't do much for the general public who still feels embarrassed or, or whatever right. about taking out a book. But now that they do have the option of doing that in a truly anonymous fashion, like that's, it's funny, that's one of the rare instances where you could really see like self-check technology Mm -hmm. having a a big impact on the the community using that. Right. Not in the normal way of it's just, you know, I don't know, making things more efficient or whatever. Right. Um, But it's actually allowing people to, you know, access sensitive topics without having to like deal with another human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It, it almost makes me wonder whether, like, we should have a self-check on the ground floor, which is where our nonfiction is, because, yeah. you know, that's where a lot of the sensitive topics are. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't at this point. You have to go up to, not that you can, can't take them one floor up and use the self-check still. Right. But. but I wonder, too, I mean, how many people don't even realize that those are there or don't even, yeah. don't think in that sense of, like, maybe they do want to get a book. And right. it's something they don't want anybody to know they're checking out. Um, you know, there's a larger trust issue, too, of, like, the general public doesn't know, like, are librarians actively looking at people's accounts to see what right. people, like, no, we're not. Right. We're definitely like, not. I promise you, we have other things to do with our yeah, time. But, like, people don't know that, you know. No, for sure. Um, so, yeah. So, it's interesting, the idea of, like, privacy issues being something that could actually push somebody to book theft when they wouldn't necessarily do that right. were they to know the sort of layers that we put between ourselves and the public and what the public ex- is accessing. Right. You know? right. I mean, we don't keep records. Once you've returned it, I think for the next six months, we could look into the computer and figure out who was the, the last person who had that item. Mm-hmm. And after six months, that data has gone. We do mm-hmm. not keep it. 
there is no permanent record. And there's rarely any situation where we would feel the need to do that, nor want to. And I think right. you'd find the most librarians, most, most library staff, like actively don't want to do that and are actively yeah. against surveillance culture yeah. as much as possible. Right. So. Right. I think the only reason that I've ever done that is if a book comes back that's very badly damaged and we need mm. to bill someone for it. Or if you um, find something in a book, you know, if there's a, right. whatever, somebody left something, like a bookmark that seems valuable right. in some way, like... In, right, $20 bill used as a bookmark, definitely right. have seen that. Something with sentimental no. value, like a photograph. Right. family photo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, those would be really the two reasons that we might do that. Mm -hmm. um, certainly... Yeah, not for fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not that fun. No, it's definitely not that fun. Um, and like, I mean, gosh, the number, you know, neither of us works at CERC, so I couldn't say for sure, but I would, I would guess they check in more than 100 books every day. I feel like that's a pretty conservative guess. Like, that takes time. It's not hard, but it physically takes time and effort. Like, we don't have time to be looking into who returned each one and like, oh, what else do they have out? And like, you know, we're too busy for that. Would we care? Like, I think it's more... Right, don't we care, nor would we want to. I think in like communities, because libraries are so kind of central to communities and especially in smaller communities, somebody might assume if they are checking out a book on a sensitive topic right. and they know the person or they know that the person who works at the library knows other people in the community, Right. That could become an issue. Um, yeah. Which again, self-checkout is great for, yeah. for avoiding those situations. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's um there's a librarian memoir called The World's Strongest Librarian. Highly mm -hmm. recommend. Mm -hmm. Um he is Mormon and has Tourette's syndrome and is all gets a shout out in this book actually too, right? She mentions yeah, his you know, blog. I think she does mention it later. Yeah. It's, it's a great book. Highly it's a good recommend. Book, yeah. Um but he also mentions specifically like the sort of like averting the gaze from whatever you're, you know, whatever he was checking out. Like, you know, like only looking at it enough to make sure that like the barcode gets under the scanner, um, but really trying not to pay attention to the actual content. But it's hard because some people really want to talk about it too. So, I mean, right. I remember working in Cirque and kind of trying to, you know, walk that tightrope of don't like, try not to look at the the book unless the person says like, oh, have you read this? Or, oh, I'm right. looking for more books on this topic or whatever. Sometimes mm -hmm. too would be like maybe a slightly embarrassing, could be embarrassing thing and they'll make a joke about it or they'll right. say, oh, it's not for me or whatever, you know? And, yeah. and often just want to be like, I'm, I didn't even look. Like, yeah. you know, what are you talking about? Yeah. Right. But so it's a fine balance between like, yeah, you do want to engage people in talking about books in general. Right. Um, but you definitely don't want to, alienate somebody by, by having them think that they're being surveilled in some way. Yeah. Yeah. It is a fine line. I would mm -hmm. agree that, you know, if they bring it up, I'll go in for it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, I try not to, yeah, there's no need for me to offer an opinion or even really pay attention to, yeah. to what the material is. Mm -hmm. um, for sure. It's a little different for us at reference because often it's somebody asking you, right. For, hey, do you have this book? And then it's, it feels more appropriate to be like, Oh, I read that. That's great. Because they yeah. have the title to you. Right. But um, yeah. Right. It's not a secret at that point. Like, no, I just you asked me for this title. You know, like they do that thing in the teen room sometimes. It's like blind date with a book. And they'll yeah. The book. They'll cover the book in like brown mm -hmm. paper. And then you, it'll say maybe a little something about it. And you check it out not really knowing what it is. It would be interesting to have some kind of like low tech technology 
where a person could anonymously check out a book. I mean, I guess with self-checkout, it kind of negates the purpose for that. But maybe in the old days, right. you could have had like a special bag you could put the book in. So then it would get checked out, but the staff member wouldn't see it. I mean, I guess with, with the new RFID technology, that would be pretty easy, right? I mean, I know that can't scan through, you know, like something really heavy, but I bet it would be able to pick up the signal through like, you know, the sort of thin fabric of most reusable bags. Mm-hmm. Maybe? Like, I think so. I could well, be wrong. Doesn't like the application of a lot of RFID is where you actually don't even check the book. You just leave with the book and it, it basically just checks. Is, is that right? Or... I think so, and certainly, so I think um, the two libraries where I've seen it in action are Haverhill and Reading, mm-hmm. and um, they both use it, among other things, for returns, and so you just, you put your return in the slot, and it, like, takes it on a conveyor belt, and just, the conveyor belt goes by, and somehow it checks them all in, like, whether they're face up, face down, you know, that doesn't, it's not like they all have to be perfectly lined up with the barcode right under the scanner or something. I mean, I don't think it uses the barcodes. I'm not sure what it does use, but. Right, right. Um, but so I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, they could kind of check them out en masse that way too. Right, right. Um, because I, I was at either of those libraries, but. Yeah. I, I think that I know there was discussion like a few years back that was going to be like the wave of the future. Right. And there's been a lot of pushback because of like the privacy mm-hmm. issues in that because it's essentially you kind of track like where a book is to a degree, right? Right. right. That's maybe not something we want to yeah. put our toes in. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can track it once it leaves the building, mm-hmm. but, um, or like, you know, I guess it would be trackable, but only if someone was like, out there wandering around with the RFID scanner. Well, the receiver, like within a certain, right. uh, you know, space or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would be most excited about that as an application for doing inventories of the books that are in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, as a way of finding missing books or determining which books should be on the shelf but aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, I don't know if you could, once that's set up, I don't know that you could limit it to that. Mm-hmm to that use. Uh, I'm sure it's an expensive technology and once you have it set up, you might as well just full on use it, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Why not use it to automate check-ins? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, other than the potential loss of jobs for staff, which is a serious consideration, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I agree. For a few years, that seems like it was going to be the next big thing and it hasn't really caught on. Yeah. I think, I think, in a big part, just because it is expensive. And also it's maybe like, I think the current technology is good enough. I mean, there's always that thing of like, do we need to completely rebuild the systems that we're using if if they're functioning good enough? And and I feel like that comes out of uh, an era that was more concerned with like protecting the materials, like to sort of bring it back to that idea of like, if we're withdrawing materials to make room for new materials, we're not so driven by like, we need these, these items to stay here. We need to know where they are at all times, you know? Exactly. So yeah, you know, the culture changes and and what's important changes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I think that covers most of the things Mm -hmm. that I've noted down. Um, (laughs) I I do just want to briefly mention the part where they describe the, um, Save the Books fundraising show, just because I enjoyed that description so much. 
That's that was quite the description. Yeah. Yeah. Of uh it was like a telethon, right? Like yeah, was, yeah. A telethon held in an auditorium of a local evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Um who had a rather non-traditional pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh gosh, there was one description, I think it was of the oil executive who was kind of instrumental in leading the Save the Books campaign, mm-hmm. who, um, it's like his mother-in-law saw him and called and called his wife, wife and was like, did you know your husband is dancing to I'm just low <laughs> on TV right now? And what, that, <laughs> that like got the most money, right? Like that was yeah. like the most popular thing. Yeah. I mean, naturally. Yeah, but, of course. But yeah, I, uh, I I deeply enjoyed that description. And just a little bit at the end, it might have been one of the strangest nights in the history of Los Angeles, which is a city that has had its share of strange nights. Mm. Like, yeah. Well said, yeah. Yeah, that really that really encapsulated. I mean, also the, the city librarian at the time, Wyman Jones, who seems kind of um, gruff, yeah, I love that picture of him on, uh, like, California Librarian Magazine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, cigarette dangling between the lips. Cigarette dangling from the lips, yeah. He, yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, and then he did, I believe, jazz piano and a magic show mm-hmm. for the telethon. Mm-hmm. So it was, that was fun to read about. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of sets us up for the next section with, you know, the uh, other director who walked from, like, Ohio to California. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, Los Angeles is full of characters, and I'm definitely excited to get into those. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to that very much, but, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the description of the Save the Books telethon. I was wondering if it would be surprising to a lot of readers that, neither the insurance nor the city budget was able to cover the replacement of any of the books. Mm. Which sort of surprised me until I stopped and thought about it. And I was like, well, of course, the city budget's determined ahead of time. They weren't expecting the library to burn down, so there's no line item for that. Uh, I found it more surprising that the insurance covered only the building and not the contents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's just based on the specific like insurance that was purchased at whatever time. Right. And I know a lot of different libraries have different setups where like maybe the city, you know, I've heard of libraries where the city or the town only covers staffing and utilities and facilities mm-hmm. and then everything else is like a trust or right. some kind of donation or something that goes to actually purchasing the materials. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of weird, complicated yeah. you know, configurations of that budget stuff. Yeah. But, um, but you know, they, they managed, they managed with clever fundraising. I would not want to be daunted with that task. Yeah, no. I think it'd be uh, hard to have a telethon these days considering they're kind of outdated, but yeah. 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 How does one, how does one do fundraising these days? Internet campaign, I guess, but that seems, no, that just seems so much less fun. It would be novel to do an actual telethon, like with a stage, yeah. with the line of people, with phones, like picking oh, yeah. them up constantly, like all oh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make it a variety yeah. show, like that whole vibe. Yeah, no, I'd be into it. Mm. Maybe, uh, maybe once we've returned to normal, we could do a telethon, not even to raise money, just a celebratory telethon, just for fun. Yeah, just for fun. Yeah, like you know, call in and donate money to the friends if you want. They're never gonna be upset about that. But mm. um, but yeah, or we're just calling to say hi. Right. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah, that would be, I'd be into that. Yeah, well, definitely. 
maybe we can run the past uh, upper management, see what they think. It's a plan. Yeah, see what talents they want to uh, contribute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess the only other thing that struck me was the um, the description of that expression from Senegal, which mm-hmm. is the polite way of saying that someone has died is that their library has burned. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, is maybe a downer to end on, but but I thought that was a really interesting expression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I liked her analysis of it, that, like, a person's memories are, are basically like a library, except, you know, irreplaceable unless they've been recorded somehow somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, a person is, a person is like a library. Mm-hmm. Um, which was not a connection I'd ever made before, like not something I'd ever considered before. Mm. Um, and it makes me think of, you know, there's those, those pushes every once in a while um, to have these like library, what are they called? Like people libraries where oh yeah, totally. you, you are- can sort of like check out time with somebody in the community to either mm-hmm. because they have some kind of skill they can help you with, or just to talk to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Human libraries. Human I think library. There yeah. You go. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that everybody has a set of like assets that can maybe be mm-hmm. helpful to other people or just interesting to other people. Yeah. Um, and that's ultimately, you know, like the library is in addition to being the, uh, a repository for books and a space for all these things. It's also a, a community center and it's a right. place for all of these people to meet up in, in the yeah. community and the patrons and the staff are all one part of that kind of that structure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I always thought that would be a fun program to put on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, maybe maybe 2022. Yeah, people are probably going to be looking to just have random interactions with other people yeah. at that point, hopefully. Yeah, so, that would so, be nice. Yeah. Something to, uh, something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So I think that wraps up everything that I had noted down. Um, so unless you have anything else... No, I mean, I think that's, yeah, I think we, we covered that little section of the book pretty well. A lot of, a lot yeah. of book burnings and <laughs> downer and yeah. downer stuff, but I think we're getting into some interesting stuff coming up. Definitely. Too. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next episode, it'll be chapters 12 to 16 for anyone at home who's reading along with us uh, or listening along with us. Um, like I said earlier, you can listen to the podcast uh, in a few places right now, it's available in Apple Podcasts. If you search for Shelf Help, you should find it. Uh, you could also search for Memorial Hall Library. And it is available on our website at mhl.org slash podcast. So, you know, if you like it and want to do the usual rate, review, and subscribe in Apple Podcasts, that's great. Or if you want to send us feedback of any sort, you can reach us at rdesk at mhl.org. That's our, like, reference desk, D-E-S-K, at mhl.org. We'd be happy to hear your thoughts on the book, on the podcast, you know, or anything. Like, people email us about all sorts of things, so do be in touch. We would love to hear it. Um, And I think that about wraps us up. We hope you'll join us next time. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. Bye. Bye.